Through the lens of loving local and seeing global, we obsessively search for people whose stories need to be told and how OKC played a supporting role. Hosted by Katherine Bexton and Emmy Coves, welcome to Action City. Good morning, Emmy. Hi. Here we are. I know, we survived. We survived. <laughs> the, wor- the worst two weeks. I mean, we keep saying that. Why? I every, mean, every time we do this, I feel like it's a, we survived. It really is, though. It's it just really is. the way life is going right now, apparently. And you know, I guess should, we should be thrilled we survived and that, you know, we didn't kill our children or our husbands in the being stuck inside. For yeah. And our houses so are intact. And yes. Yeah. It, it's wild to see all the videos and pictures from people in Houston and San Antonio, Dallas, and Dallas. I mean, yeah. And Fort Worth. Water just flooding everywhere. Flooding. Crazy. What I don't understand is how they get people so quickly to their houses to rip everything out. I think they ripped it out themselves. Because there maybe there wasn't anybody. Yeah. I mean, there are so many videos of like my friend's husband's just like just, ripping their drywall like out because they needed to find the leak. Yeah. My parents, they had a pipe burst. Oh, they did? Yes. And so they have no water. So my dad is coming to take a shower at our house every day, which is lots of fun. And we've had dinner with him. <laughs> it's very reminiscent of the ice storm. I was going to say, didn't they, we just We had this? no power. <laughs> I'm like, why don't my parents just move in? We're oh redoing our back gosh. house, really, for Jim's mom. But you know what? Maybe I should just move my parents in. I was watching Father of the Bride, and oh. in it, he's like, I just realized, like, Annie will never come to the breakfast table, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, my parents have seen me because <laughs> I've lived at their house in, what was that, October or something? In October, I think. And then we all, I mean, had things gone down worse, we could have been back over there. Right. Know. I mean, we could I mean, we might as well just do it the way you're supposed to do it and just have all the generations together. It'd be so much easier. Yeah, seriously. Did you have any pipes freeze at your house? We, there was one in our garage, but actually I bought Jeff that torch that Chris Castro sent me for Valentine's day. I got him that searing torch. Well, it's not really for food. It's a torch. So Jeff figured out how to, is it solder or cotter? solder i think you cotter an artery Car- cauterize an artery and, <laughs> and solder, solder by- pipe. Okay. Um, so he soldered he fixed it he was able to close the pipe it was incredible i know he, are you serious mm-hmm. yeah so because of that torch it worked nice chris yeah. thank you so much the gift that I keeps know. on giving i know he was like we were both laughing about it i was like had i not given you that i know thank torch. goodness did he torch any food over the weekend did, well like so because amazon is now just showing up from two weeks ago i mean it's oh, crazy yes. so uh the torch came and the the gas tank came but the actual steering head for the torch didn't come until a couple of days ago oh, okay. so we haven't used it yet but you'll have a project for the weekend yeah exactly so i can't even remember what i've ordered because it's been so long since it's all that's what things showed started showing up and jeff was like when did you order all this stuff i was like i swear like literally two weeks ago yeah Oh gosh. Yeah, was, okay, well tell me about okay, so we've talked a little bit about the past week. What were what was your pit? What was your peak? Um I think my honestly, my I think my pit has been the last couple of days since I had my kids home. They were we like got in a groove and now that they're back at school, it has been a little rough. I think they're really tired. I think, you know, now they, they see, I think it's like overstimulation because we really only it was just the three of us for I mean, they only went to school one day 
in the last two weeks. And so now that they've gone to school, now it's Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, they were rough days. And even yesterday we went to the zoo and I guess everybody. You are so good with the zoo. I love going to the zoo. Like I saw, they said, we're open. I'm like, who the heck's going to the zoo? It's freezing. But yesterday it wasn't. It wasn't. But I think I had the same thought as every other mom and it was packed. Really? I'm yeah. I'm so glad. I love our zoo. I love our zoo. It, but I like going at three because nobody's there. And so when it was packed, you know, the kids can't really run everywhere. And you're, no, I mean, yeah, you're and right. especially with COVID still, it's like, I get we're outside, but you're there. Like the walkways aren't super huge in certain parts, which I love because like during in the Oklahoma exhibit, I just let Huffman run. I mean, it's, it's fabulous for that. But then if there's a ton of people, you're kind of watching your kids and you know, you don't want them touching the glass or touching this or it's a little bit more stressful. Yeah, I bet it is. What about that playground on the right? We used to go straight to the playground. See, on the, is it closed? No, it's open. But because of COVID, right. I just like, you know, because Huffman's too, he doesn't wear a mask. No, you're right. So. And I mean, nobody was really wearing masks. I mean, some people were, but a lot of people weren't. And even like I went to the bathroom and there were like three women in there without their With masks. no mask in the yes. bathroom? I was like, oh, I know. People. I know. It's like, come on, guys. It's not that hard. It's for almost a year in. Like, let's do this. And I'm I'm so glad cases are coming down and things are looking better. But I'm just like, please, like in a bathroom, like it's a confined space. Yeah. Well, this morning I had to order some more disposable masks on Amazon, as we mentioned. (laughs) And, you know, they give you that little option that's like, would you like to subscribe and save 5%? And I'm like, has it come to that? Do I need to subscribe to the masks so that they show up every month? I mean, if we were wearing them till 2022, like Fauci says, then maybe I should subscribe. Yeah. Gosh. And I have these two different ones in my cart, and one of them we like, and one of them we don't. I don't remember which which one's which, so who knows? <laughs> so you're just going to order both? <laughs> no, I'm just going to order Drop both. Drop the ones that you don't like off my house, because... I don't know. I don't know. Neely says she doesn't like them. She says they're fuzzy or something. Oh, interesting. Oh, well, so you went to the zoo. That's so... It was so pretty outside. So I was pretty. dying to walk to dinner, but then I had work to do. Yeah, so it was so pretty. And then, obviously, my peak was my birthday. <gasps> Happy birthday, Emmy. Thank you. <laughs> I know. I didn't really give you like a proper birthday. Yes, you I did. Mean, I did. I didn't give you a proper birthday shout out this morning, right? When we started this. But well, that's okay. Happy it was 31st. also like three days ago. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Jeff, like he planned this little day for me to take, have a shopping day, which was wonderful. And I don't know. It was great. I just like it was such a good birthday. I mean, I didn't really like see a ton of people or anything, but it was it was super fun. Well, Jeff was so sweet. I did not tell you this, but he asked me whether or not I could come on your shopping. Oh, day he with did, you, which was like the Aww. sweetest invitation I feel like I've ever gotten. And I was dying to come, but I had to be at Greta. Yeah, and thank goodness I was there because it was crazy. But well, I was so I sad when you getting guys were stuff up, at and Greta. you got some stuff at yeah. Greta, and I was so sad when you guys were moving on to your next stop. I was like, oh, take me with you. It was fun. I mean, we didn't get very far. We kind of just stayed kind of around you know Greta area, but it was still great. It was a nice day with your mom, probably, too. It was nice. And we, like, got our nails done, and it was fun. And then um, that night, we went to Bar Chiquetti for dinner. It was Where good. I've never been. I'm, I'm at this point. I'm never going to go anywhere. It was good. I think the menu is kind of funky. Um, I kind of like funky. Yeah. I mean, it's... Jim does not, but I do. I, I liked it. Everybody kind of ordered different stuff, and we all sort of tried each other's, and everybody loved their, their stuff. And it was great, too, because... Like we have two friends. We just went with my two best friends from like growing up and their husbands. And 
my friends Nicole and Will are like pasta people. Oh, they they eat more too. pasta than I've than Still, I Still like I mean I could eat it and they're, every day. And they're I tiny. Just, they're like very thin people. Why, why, and they why? just eat pasta. <laughs> I know they also work <laughs> out a jealous. ton and they're healthy, but it's just so so they ordered pasta and their pasta was wonderful and I got a steak and my steak was great. So I, I felt like there was something on the menu kind of for everybody. It okay, was well, good. Maybe though. I should take Jim there. Yeah, it was fine. Sit upstairs. Okay. There's like a downstairs and an upstairs and the upstairs the vibe is a little cooler. Okay. It's kind of hard for us to find a restaurant where we both agree. I mean, it's tapas. Oh, okay. And they have, I mean, they had like fried burrata and then they had like, you know, mussels. I feel like you could kind of find. Okay. Do they know. have a taco? Do they have a crunchy? Do they have a crispy beef, ta- ground beef taco? Probably not, oh, but no. they may be. No, we can't go there. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well yeah it was great and then for my my that was saturday and then my actual birthday was sunday and uh my mom got my birthday cake from plant which was really Wait really sweet i saw that you can get a cake from mm-hmm. there it was really good like very rich oh it was really it's a chocolate cake well i mean emma did she was a pastry chef at I, yeah at Math- matthew, matthew kenny. kenny so i mean uh-huh. she does know how and to apparently make it was made out of sweet potatoes which I, you would have never known oh my god yeah so it was really good well i'm glad you had a good birthday it was a great it was like a great birthday it was great because like saturday i got kind of a day to myself and then sunday i just kind of hung out with my kids when I wanted to, like Jeff sort of just have them under control and I kind of pop so in nice. and check in. And then if I wanted to go watch TV or, you know, do whatever, I could kind of pop out. Perfect. So it was great. Sounds like the perfect day. It was. It was awesome. So oh, good. Yeah. What about you? What's your pit? What's your peak? Well, I always think about this, what my pit, my peak is. And I don't ever really think. <laughs> I mean, there are things that seem like peaks, I mean, pits in the moment. Yeah. And then afterwards, I do sort of just move on and try not to worry about it that much. But I think that my pit is that all these shipping delays. Yeah. Everything that I'm supposed to be getting in at Greta and, you know, spring is coming and people want things for spring break. And, you know, we had to close Greta for four days. So, I mean, I can't even count the number of days we've had to close the store in the past 12 months, obviously. I mean, it's ridiculous. But close the store for four days in a time when we should be, you know, selling a lot and receiving a lot. So, we miss those four days of sales, which backs up yeah. what I can purchase. All these boxes that are supposed to get here aren't here yet. I don't know where they are. And then I have to track them. So, it's just more little stress. Work. I did I, I did make some little videos before we had to close and I put those on Instagram just trying to yeah, I love the let videos. people shop from Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> which I know you hate. Which I hate. I mean, it's just, it's a full-time job. I mean, it, doing the social yeah. media properly is a full-time job. And I'm I'm sort of debating whether or not I should hire someone to do like social media and events or something because if anybody knows anyone who would be really great at social media at Greta, send me a DM yeah. on Action City or on Greta. But I'm it's a it's a lot of I work. Th- I think yeah. I'm not that great at. I mean I think you're good at it. I just I get what you're saying, but I like to see you try things on. I know it is more helpful than like laying them down on the ground. Yeah, I think it is. I need and especially person. with that, you got all that athleisure and it's <gasps> oh, such I am a, kind of excited about yeah, that. Yeah. And so, and that stuff, the price point's good. And price. yeah, I feel like that's stuff that I, I mean, buying athleisure online, unless it's a brand, I know the exact fit. Like I still want to try it on. Yeah. 
And there have been so many leggings or sports bras that I order online and then they come in and the fabric's weird or the fit is weird. And you're like, God, this is such a pain in the butt to return. Yeah. So. Oh, gosh. I know it stinks, but I think you should do it. I think, okay, I'll do it. But I may need to find someone to like manage the whole thing for me. I like to have people manage me. It's really nice. Yeah. Okay. What was my peak? I mean, the peak, I, I guess that the girls were home with me all week. I had... The Saturday before the storm, I got up and I went to like six grocery stores. Yeah, that was smart. One grocery store twice. That was smart. To get all the ingredients. You know, I don't really plan it out. And I so I had all my meals planned. Some of them were big hits. Some of them were not. What was a hit? Oh, I made the... Crunchy oh, the, gordito yeah. taco things from cheesy gordito, <laughs> cheesy crunch. gordito crunch from from Taco Bell. This this person it's called a half baked harvest. I don't know if you guys follow it, but it's really fun, delicious dinners. They're not always that healthy, but so she was making a healthier version of it. So that was a huge hit. I mean, everybody we finished off those tacos. The what was not a hit was I made this chicken cassoulet. And nobody in my family could figure out what a cassoulet was. And I was like, it's just a French casserole, people. It's just the same. I mean, it's basically the same thing. So that was not a big hit. I just threw the rest of the way that away last night. But so I was glad that I had all that laid out. And then by Saturday night, when it obviously it had started to melt or whatever, the girls, they love to go to sushi. And Jim doesn't really like sushi. So the girls and I went to Tokyo. Oh, and it was just, it was yeah. fun. It was just the three of us. And they had me cracking up and we had such a nice time. And then, I had to go to Trader Joe's and get stuff to make Sundays, and so then we got all these random desserts and fun. So it was a really nice time with them. Yeah, it was fun. So I'm glad that the snow is melting. That God. maybe we're back to real life, but I mean, who knows? There was an earthquake like four days ago. So there was. Yeah, here. And by the way, yes. And then nobody talked about it. It was like came across the bottom of the screen on the TV, and it was like they felt it in downtown. I think I was on the Peloton when it happened. It was like a four point three or something. Wait, was it early in the morning? Yeah, it was probably like around like 8.45 or 9. Weird. I didn't even Last realize. Friday, maybe. What? Yes, I know. So see, we're, oh we're so over the whole thing, we don't even talk about the earthquakes. <laughs> and as someone said in the store, just in time for tornado season. Oh, God. Like, oh, great. Perfect. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, you know what? I think all we can do is just keep a positive attitude, put one foot in front of the other. That's what I said. That's I was it. like, I'm kind of over being like, oh, 21, 2021 uh-huh. sucks more than 2020. I'm like, no, like just we're here. We're along for the ride. Yeah. Just go for it. Like, I mean, I'm just over. I'm over being negative about the date and the year. About things we can't control. Yeah. It's like we're, we know. I mean. I don't know. I feel like there are good things happening. So it's just like. We just have to look Yeah, for exactly. Which is like so funny. Ironic that our guest is a psychiatrist because. Yes, because we really need this. I honestly believe a therapist should be like a prerequisite for kind of life right now. But, yeah. you know, obviously that's my opinion. But I also am a big mental health cheerleader. So You're so good. Well, right after this, I'm going to my therapist. So Wait, I'm too. You are <laughs> yes. every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And let's see, I'm officially who knows how late, but I'm always oh, late. Oh, gosh. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. But no, I totally agree with you. I think we should all invest in mental, mental health. health in mental health, whether or not that means it's a professional or it's books or it's just time you take for yourself. I think we and I think we have to teach our children that it's OK to 
invest in, in that. I agree. I definitely agree. I feel like, it, yeah, it's definitely become more of a conversation lately, which yeah. thank God, because I think there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with it. And Emmy and I, we really enjoyed interviewing our next guest, and we hope that you love listening to his story. So Dr. R. Murali Krishna is co-founder and president of the James L. Hall Jr. Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit. Additionally, he serves on many professional and civic boards and committees. Most notably, he is the current president of the Oklahoma State Board of Health. Dr. Krishna was born in India, and because of a traumatic incident in his childhood, he spent his life finding answers for his loved one. He made his way to London and then a few years later to Oklahoma City. He spent decades as a psychiatrist at St. Anthony and was the first psychiatrist to be named the chief of staff there just months before the Oklahoma City bombing. Last year, after working for 10 years on the project, Dr. Krishna and his world-class team opened Arcadia Trails in Tegris. Betty Ford has proclaimed it the best rehab center in the country. Dr. Krishna is an Oklahoman through and through, and it's very apparent in our conversation with him. Please welcome Dr. Krishna to Action City. Okay, Catherine, I feel like one of the things we definitely have in common is that if we can't do something perfectly ourselves, then we find somebody who can. And I think one of the biggest parts of working smarter, not harder, is finding amazing people who can help you. I know I love supporting local businesses, and LifeSquire combines all of those things for me. I've known the owner, Valerie, for years, and she really has created a one-stop shop in Oklahoma City when it comes to getting assistance. LifeSquire offers a range of services from personal assistance, grocery shopping, any sort of errand you'd want them to run, they can do it for you. Also, they will recruit and hire for your business. So it really does create this full service atmosphere with taking the stress away of getting these tasks done that I know we all get overwhelmed with. I also love that their whole team is experts. They're experts on organizing, they're experts on your kids, they're experts on all of these things. But if they happen to not be an expert, say in like bugs or landscaping, they will find an expert for you. Thing is on an app. So the fact that they have an app just makes it that much better. But on their app, they have this thing called the SOS function. And basically with one click, they will eliminate whatever problem you have. So say your kid forgot their their lunch or their snack at school, you can click the SOS and one of them will go take it to your child and your problem will be solved. Overall, I think that you can find something with them in every budget. So whether you need two hours of service or 20 hours of service, it doesn't matter. They will work with you. If you'd like to find more information, all you have to do is check out their website. It's LifeSquire, L-I-F-E-S-Q-U-I-R-E.com. Or you can check them out on Instagram or Facebook to get more information. Valerie, the owner, is so wonderful, and she really has created this one-stop shop for getting assistance in Oklahoma City, and her team is fabulous. So if you'd like to check them out, go for it. And thank you so much for being a sponsor of the podcast. Welcome to Action City. Emmy and I are here with Dr. Murali Krishna, who is the, well, we're going to give a little intro before this, because Emmy and I want to make sure we don't miss anything. But he is a longtime resident of Oklahoma City by way of India. And he you will find out in this interview all of the wonderful things that he has done for our city and for our state um, from a medical perspective and an emotional perspective and a spiritual perspective. He 
founded the Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit at Integris, and he's written a book called Vibrant to Heal and Be Whole, which Emmy and I read this weekend and really gave me a lot of hope and uh, and excitement for the future. So let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Krishna. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to be here with you, and I applaud the good work you're doing for the city. Oh, thank you. Thank well, you. It means a lot coming from you, considering I feel like you've done a, an exorbitant, exorbitant <laughs> have to catch up. Yes, amount of work. I think that we've never interviewed somebody who's written a book, so this is a whole new ball game for us. And we're so grateful to have you on. Seriously, it's it's pretty cool. We have a little bit of nerves. I'm gonna. I'm, I I'm have, gonna admit. Yeah, I have a little bit of nerves, but just because I enjoyed the book so much, and I want to make sure that I am very poignant in my question asking which I'm usually not. So, <laughs> so we, we want to do a really good job telling your story because for so many years, I've known of you and heard my mother speak so highly of you and my parents speak so highly of you. And, uh, and I just want to make sure that we do a good job telling your story. Yes. Well, and the book was really wonderful. And I definitely will get you know, at the end, we could definitely tell people how they can read it, but I enjoyed it so much. And I loved how the book opens, and I'm not going to give too much away so people can still go enjoy the book, but it does open with this kind of this very vivid description of your grandfather meditating. And I just, I loved it. I loved that this was kind of the opening of this book because mental health is so important to me. And I think important to a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, but kind of, we usually start at the very beginning. So you're born in India. Yes. And you're, can you pronounce the name? I am so bad with the names. Where, what was it a city or was it a town? How do you describe it? It's a small town by okay. the name Parvatipuram. Okay. And uh, my father was working for the government, and I was born at the hospital. And uh, I was the second of three children for my father and mother. And we moved a lot because my father was transferred almost every year because the government job. And he was also so honest, he would not give in to these corrupt politicians, so they would get mad and they would transfer him. So every year we change our schools and have to give up our friends, and it was kind of traumatic every year. Uh, that brought us very close together uh, as a family. And uh, for the most part, I enjoyed my childhood until the age of nine. I never learned about pain of any kind physical, emotional, or spiritual. Uh, the only pain I had was leaving my friends and going to new town each year after summer until my mom became very ill suddenly when I was nine years of age. That's when most of my life journey of any significance started. Do you want to talk until about... that time... Yeah. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, so can you just talk about what that experience was and kind of how it sort of put you on this trajectory of where your life has taken you? Yeah. Until that time, I was good only two things at school. One was uh, doing very good math. I was very fast in calculations. And, and the second was uh, running fast. I was the shortest boy in the class. So that's the only way I could get away from the bullies. 
<laughs> and those two are my claim to fame and nothing else. I was not good in anything else at that time. I was mostly enjoying playing games like sports like cricket and soccer and uh, ping pong and a number of other street games. And uh, I had a very happy childhood. I, I used to want to become an engineer. I used to, I like building things with my hands with the old erector set, they're called mechano sets from England. I used to build uh, pickup trucks and big buses and and airplanes, and then later on, bigger and bigger and rocket ships. Then I used to start dreaming about uh, going to the National Aeronautic and Space Administration when I grew up and become a scientist in building future spaceships. So my dream probably would have come true, except when I was nine, something very major happened. Uh, I came home one day from school about four o'clock in the afternoon. We walked back home from school and my sister and I, and we found our mother in bed. Normally, every day she would be waiting for us at the front gate and she would give us a big hug and a kiss and immediately give us nice, tasty snack to eat and a glass of lemonade, sweetened lemonade to drink. And then she would make us sit down and do our homework right away. And when we finished that, she used to help us, even though she was minimally educated, fifth grade, but she was a smart lady. She used to help us with that process. And after that, she used to set us free on the streets. So we used to play on the streets. At that time, there were not that many cars. Only once in a while, a car would come. So we played and played and played until about 6.30 or 7 when the darkness came. We came home and we had our dinner with our both parents and, and used to tell stories to each other. So that day she was in bed and she was not responding much, uh, barely respond. She was slowed down and uh, we thought maybe she was sick. So when our father came home, we told him and that continued for a few days. We were kind of surprised uh, what's happened. We never experienced that. She took care of everything until that point, cooking and cleaning and, and making us do our homework, teaching us how to sing, you know, uh, praying with us. Every night, all, all aspects of her life were pretty much, you know, influenced by, by her love. And then it suddenly changed. My father took her to doctor and they could not find out what's going on. And pretty soon she withdrew more and more and more. Became pretty much uh, restricted to bed. Uh, barely could talk and unless you forced her. Barely could eat unless you forced her. And became very dysfunctional. So... Our family uh, was devastated by this. We did not know what's wrong. The doctors didn't know what's wrong. And after month after month after this, uh, we start hurting emotionally and spiritually. You know, we used to wonder why this such a loving human being or mom, the most loving person I've ever seen in my life, is hurting, but nobody can find out what she's hurting about. And so our grades have plummeted and our involvement in the community plummeted. And as the doctors couldn't find, at that time, they were only primitive medicines. Uh, the conclusion for the, from the neighbors was that my mother was probably possessed by an evil spirit. So that was devastating to us because they stopped sending their children to our home. They used to come to our home to have snack and the nice lemonade by, given by my mother. And they used to do their homework there and they used to sing songs and play with us. Our, our home was a happy home for the whole neighborhood suddenly it became very lonely. And my mother was uh, suffering from what's going on with us as well as herself. 
And then one evening when I came back from home, she was not in bed. I ran to the backyard, little backyard we had. I saw her setting fire to herself. She decided that she's, we are better off if she dies. And I fell all over her. I was a little short boy. Luckily, I was able to put the fire off and brought her home. And she stayed in the bed, staring into space for the rest of the night. And I was so worried about her. I was awake all night, early in the morning before anybody else was awake. At the uh, early hours of dawn, she got up all the strength she had and started walking outside the house. Uh, she proceeded and I followed her. And I called mom, mom, she wouldn't come back. So I just followed her. She proceeded for about one and a half miles from our home. There's a tributary of a river. She went there and started going inside the river. And pretty soon I realized that she wanted to drown and die. And I did not know how to swim. I ran all behind her. I shouted, mom, please come back. She would look back and she would not come back. She would proceed. So at the right time, I caught her. I was gasping for her breath myself. The water was up to here. And I was hanging on to her. I wouldn't let her go. She realized that I'm going to go and drown before she drowned. So she picked me up and brought me to the shore. And both of us walked back to our home uh, in our wet clothes. That was probably the most painful moment in my life. And that was a turning point in my life. From that point onwards, I said to myself, I need to find out what's wrong with my mom. She's not possessed by an evil spirit. God is greater than that. There's a meaning behind it. I don't know what that meaning is all about, but I want to find out. That's when I put my efforts completely into learning about human body, what doctors do, what kind of doctors do, what kind of work, how do you get to become a doctor, how do you study the brain, where do you go to study brain. It's all new because there's no doctor in our family. Did you, and, uh, Dr. Krishna, did you have anybody that you could talk to at the time about what was going on? Could you talk to your dad or your sisters and... As a family, did you discuss it or was, you know, I think in the United States, you know, really until recently, mental illness, there's a stigma on mental illness. Is right. I'm assuming it's similar in India. Did you it feel is, like you had uh, anywhere to go to talk? Stigma is, uh, even today in India, stigma is probably 10 times or 100 times worse than here. If we think of stigma here, stigma in India is so awful. Was was even more awful when I was a child. My sisters and I would sit in the veranda of the house and we, we didn't go to play and we used to talk about what's wrong with mom, why is she suffering? And, and, and we used to cry. We used to wonder if God is there really. And we used to wonder if we need to die. Uh, you know, in fact, my younger sister uh, was so down. She was so close to my mom. Uh, she made a serious suicide attempt as a child. No, no. And uh, luckily we were able to save her. And the only person I could talk openly was my grandfather. He was really like an angel. He came from a small village where he retired. And there's a beautiful story behind him. You know, he was an administrator for a kingdom in India. And then due to a spiritual experience, he decided to serve people. And so he retired and went to a mountain village where he mastered ancient Indian medicine from the ancient roots. And so he used to have volunteers go to the mountains to bring the roots and herbs 
mix medicines and give freely to people. So he used to help people heal, even though that's not his primary profession, free of charge. He helps hundreds of villages, surrounding villages. So he heard about what's going on. He came, and I was his favorite grandchild. Uh, in fact, my <laughs> the middle name is named after him. And so he took active interest in me, and he used to teach me, uh, give me confidence about there is a God, there is a overwhelming power that creates us, sustains us. You may not feel that way right now because you feel all alone when you're suffering. You feel disconnected from him and from the world. You feel all alone. But remember that he is there and he is going to be helping you. And what we need to do is for you to learn to some skills to cope with what's going on while some help is being available, uh, help is being discovered. So he taught me at that time, mind calming skills. And I didn't quite understand at that time, all of it. He taught me how to breathe, alternate breathing. He taught me meditation. He taught me focusing. He taught me how to have hope and to have faith and how to sustain in difficult times. And uh, he really gave me a ray of light that I started believing gradually. Uh, I became a believer in a prayer that gave me a lot of comfort. Uh, belief in God has strengthened, actually, as he helped us cope with things, even though we didn't have any money and the neighbors uh, basically abandoned us, not because they are bad people, they, because of ignorance. They did not know what it was all about. And uh, then at the age of 15 and a half, I was so anxious to go to medical school. I tried very hard to study and luckily got elected, uh, selected to medical school. I went to medical school at 15 and a half. Were you the, was, is that the typical age or were you very young for your medical school? I was the youngest uh, student in my class and the shortest student in my class. And uh, uh, my principal heard about me uh, in the interview and he asked me what inspired you to want to become a doctor at such a young age. You look like a boy. You don't even have a mustache yet. <laughs> and I told him about my mother and what's going on. So he did not say anything there. He, you know, I could see the empathy from him. But he took interest in me, even though I was one of 150 students in my class and about uh, two or 3,000 students in the entire school. He used to periodically see me and help me to find some solutions for my mom. Oh, uh, that's the first ray of hope that came uh, in realistic way. He used to study the modern developments in the field of brain and mind, and for my sake, and he used to guide us and the family doctor. So that gave some hope to her. He was so instrumental in, in guiding me to be where I am. So I became an internist uh, uh, and practiced for one year in a small town in India. And uh, but before you became an internist, you were married. Yes, correct. I got married <laughs> in the final year of my medical school. I was 19 I and my wife was 18. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, my, I was 19. My wife was 18. And uh, in my entire class, it was the first wedding in my entire class. So everybody came in a bus to attend my wedding. I remember the first wedding after my college yeah, my my husband and I the were the fun. we were the first out of our friends. We weren't eighteen and nineteen, but we were the first, and it was very fun. Everybody comes to see how yeah. it's done. You're right. Well, so we celebrated our fifty first an uh, anniversary Aww, wedding yeah. anniversary. 
Happy last year, 50th was a big celebration for all the community to come. But uh, we we shared, basically, we, we grew up as teenagers, late teenagers and early 20s. We grew up together and we had a child uh, in India and I was a family doctor. I enjoyed the family doctor practice. I was very busy as a young doctor, but uh, something was lacking. I said, something is lacking in my life that is I'm not treating people like my, what mom had. I want to find out what's going on with her, and I didn't have enough education about it. So that's when we decided to go to England, because in India at that time, there's not that many institutes that gave specialty of mind and brain. So we went to England and specialized in uh, psychiatry, behavioral sciences, mind and brain sciences, and learned all I could. And at that time, it's interesting how the Oklahoma connection happened. Uh, I was wanting to you know, think about... United States at some point, because most of the cutting-edge research is going on here, uh, United States is making some very good advances in psychiatry and brain sciences. Did you and have a dream go- of coming to the United States when you were a boy? No, that it really was because of the evolution of, of brain medicine in the United States, right? I mean, it wasn't... Yes, yes. As, as a boy, I used to dream about coming to the United States to become a space engineer, at the National Aeronautic and Space Administration. And the reason I was so impressed with the United States as a child is my grandfather uh, had a friend. Uh, he was a missionary from the United States. He and his family were in Chennai, India, what used to call Madras, India. They used to spend the summers together. And so my grandfather used to teach me about how people in the United States are so open-hearted uh, so kind and so loving and so progressive. And that is the ideal uh, situation for humanity to grow and to excel. So I had in the back of my mind, that's where I'm going to go at some point. Uh, you know, I did not know when and why, how. So at this time in England, I was having a very successful beginning of my career there. And uh, then Dr. Jay Shirley, who was in Oklahoma, Uh, He was a professor at OU, psychiatry professor, and he was also at the Veterans Administration. He was running the sensory deprivation tank there. He was a pioneer in the world in sensory deprivation. Can you believe in Oklahoma? Uh, He took a team of doctors. I wondered about that because you you said that you presented a paper at school in England about sensory deprivation, and I was trying to figure out what that exactly yeah, meant. Can you explain what sensory deprivation is? Is because it like I, being in yeah. solitary confinement? I can't. Yeah, sensory deprivation is we have five sensations, the vision, the hearing, the touch, and the smell, and the taste. So what will happen if you deprive the brain and the mind of all the sensations? What will happen with your mind and brain and the body? Nobody has studied as thoroughly as Dr. Shirley because he developed a sensory deprivation tank right in VA hospital in Oklahoma City and did experiments and published those papers, then took a team of researchers to South Pole to see in the South Pole what would happen to these people if we deprive them of sensations in extreme environments. So he was a world's pioneer, and through correspondence, uh, we became familiar. I was a young man, and he was a you know, mature professor. He said, uh, Dr. Krishna, if you have any interest in coming to the United States, please apply here because Oklahoma needs psychiatrists. We are shortage here. So I said, yes, sir, I would love to come there. It's all correspondent. There's no telephones 
uh, at that time. Were you, writing, were you writing letters, I guess? I guess that's what you were doing, right? We were writing letters. So it took a long time for it probably to unfold, whereas now it would take yeah, you know, instant yeah. emails. Yeah. You're but. right. You're right. Well, you know, we used to correspond about various topics in the brain, what my thoughts and, and you know, I used to have, you know, some doubts and questions and, and he used to clarify those things for me. He took interest in me, uh, active interest. So he invited me to apply here. So I applied for five universities and Next thing I know, I went to uh, London to take my board exams there in England, member of Royal College of Psychiatrists. And when I came home, my wife, Sam, said, uh, well, uh, Oklahoma called <laughs> and uh, they, were, they were looking for you, Dr. Lopez, who was the residency director on behalf of Dr. Shirley. And she said, uh, in the mail, we had all the five places except me in the mail, uh, all the other places. But Oklahoma was the first one to call me, call us. And I didn't talk to them, but my wife talked and said, we are going to Oklahoma. What did they said, say? What? what were the magic words? What did Dr. Lopez magic, say? Well, uh, apparently Dr. Lopez had a wonderful conversation with my wife that she was so touched by his conversation. He was a, he was a Cuban immigrant doctor, neurosurgeon in Cuba. He actually was a neurosurgeon to Castro's mom. Oh, wow. And Castro basically drove this very educated family out of Cuba with their cloth, cloth on the body. And he just came here and uh, because he can't be a neurosurgeon here, he became a psychiatrist, a very knowledgeable man, a jewel of Oklahoma. So after my wife talked to him for about 45 minutes, she said, we're going to Oklahoma, wherever it is, that's the place we need to go. He was so loving and affectionate. And if you're not going to be in India, I would rather be at a place where people are loving and affectionate. So I said, okay, uh, let's go. Dr. Shirley is there. So we'll go there. So we packed up our bags and we were ready to go, went to the embassy and they said, well, son, it'll t- do you want to go, to, go there as a, as a visitor or, or an immigrant? I said, I'm going to immigrate there. I want my family to be raised there. I want my children and grandchildren to be raised there. And the older lady there at the embassy said, son, it'll take several years to get immigration visa. How did you plan to go there? And so I called back Dr. Shirley and said, Dr. Shirley, they're not. They said it's going to take several years. I can't come right away. This was January of 1975. Dr. Shirley said, let me go to work on it. So he worked with two people, Senator Bellman and uh, Governor Boren. So within 10 weeks, my wife and I and my three-year-old son were in Oklahoma City with immigrant visas, green cards at Will Rogers Airport. And Dr. Lopez and his wife, Maya, were there to receive us, take us to their home to give us a wonderful gourmet food that night, late night, midnight. I love, I love that Me part too. of the book yeah. because so many of my most happy memories as a child and as now as a parent is around the table with a delicious meal and friends. And I love that he, you said it was late at night and he had you for a Cuban meal and here you are immigrating from India to the United States and you sit down with a Cuban family who also immigrated under different circumstances, but, and you shared a meal together and that was your first introduction to this city. I, I really loved how multicultural it was. It, and, and so, in 1975, I mean. Yeah. yeah. That was a spectacular experience for, for all of us. A great introduction to a great city emerging as a great city. Well, and I, I love too that you have these people looking out for you that you've never even met before. They just 
had heard from a friend that you would, you know, help change psychiatry in the state. And so they made sure that you were able to come as quickly as they could get you. I, I think that that's also a true testament to kind of Oklahomans and how we do things if somebody is in our corner or if we, you know, we're always looking out for the good of the whole, I think. Absolutely. A lot of people don't realize how special we are as Oklahomans. And, and I want to share with you a key moment for me when I realized not only the early experiences, I've had very positive experiences, uh, how I was given the opportunity to succeed uh, both at the Health Science Center and then as the chief resident. And then I started practicing at St. Anthony Hospital. And within a few years, I became chief of psychiatry at St. Anthony Hospital. And within a few more years, the 800 doctors there unanimously chose me as their chief of staff, which is the greatest honor you can have in that 100-year-old uh, hospital at that time, oldest hospital in Oklahoma City. Never in the history of uh, that hospital was somebody born overseas chosen as chief of staff, and never a psychiatrist was chosen as chief of staff. In that year, 1995, bombing happened shortly I became, after I became chief of staff. Uh, in fact, on the bombing, the day of the bombing, April 19th, we, myself and my executive committee of the medical staff and the sisters of St. Anthony's and the administration were about to take off uh, to go to the retreat in, in Florida. And uh, then we uh, just stopped the plane as soon as we heard about the bombing incidents and uh, immediately rushed to the area, bombing area. And that was probably one of the most uh, momentous things for me the next three days. Uh, not only how Oklahomans suffered, but also how they healed each other. For example, I'll share, you know, when I go overseas, I talk about this, about what's special about Oklahoma when I go out of state. In every bombing in the world that happened, New York City number one, New York City number two, uh, London, bombing, Madrid bombing, Mumbai bombing, Kenya bombing. In every bombing, people were running away from the bombing site as soon as they came. Only in Oklahoma City, if, you, if you're looking at the air, from the helicopter, you would find that people are flocking to the bombing site and the police are cordoning them off. I was right there with my eyes watching what's happening. And uh, that is amazing. People want to go there and help, even though police are saying rubble is falling down, concrete rubble is falling with, you know, steel, and you could die. Uh, and so there's this nurse from Guthrie, 32 years old, I think. Uh, she would go and save some people, bring some people out, people, and police would keep her out, and she'd come back again. And finally, she, uh, you know, concrete fell on the head and died. Oh and gosh. she had two twin sons uh, that are 21 or 25 or whatever age right now. Uh, it's a, a blind man would go, with a stick and would go inside and in the rubble and bring people out, even though police are cordoning them off. There's so many stories there that were so touching. So I helped coordinate the relief efforts. And uh, incidentally, the Cassidy students, uh, my daughter was one of them, without, no, without me knowing, they uh, had a volunteer uh, student body came all the way and brought drinks for everybody there all the bombing victims and their families. It was kind of chaotic there. So everybody rolled up their sleeves and came to help, no matter what field of profession they're in, not just doctors and nurses. Uh, it is amazing uh, 
from all over the world. We got calls from England, from uh, everywhere, with a plane load of doctors wanted to come here. And I would ask my doctors, do we need help? I said, no, we have enough right here at St. Anthony and surrounding hospitals. We don't need anybody from outside. So the joke was by the time the federal government sent their supplies, uh, the only thing we needed from the federal government was mint under the pillow. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> everything else was supplied by the, chip cookie. by the Oklahomans. So here comes the momentous moment for me, for my own personal life. You know, my mom suffered a lot and I didn't understand. I could never understand the meaning behind it. But I went ahead and said, I need to find solutions. So I went ahead and specialized in psychiatry, treated psychiatric patients with illnesses, then started treating, uh, you know, in preventing illness, then started having enhancing our mental health and, and our physical health. So, but I never could understand why did my mother suffer? Why did she have to suffer? And I understood at this magical moment, three nights, three days and three nights, we worked at St. Anthony. Finally, after three nights and three days, I'm walking back into my car to go home. And in the parking lot in the basement, uh, my friend, Dr. Philip Green, was a psychiatrist. Uh, he was also working hard. He stopped me and asked me, Morali, I want to ask you something. Uh, you know, I know you're tired and I'm tired too, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, please don't feel bad if, that I'm asking this question. You came from several thousand miles away. You didn't have a single classmate or a friend. But you became immensely successful and people love you for some reason. I don't understand why so much affinity and affection and love that you've generated and you have this fabulous practice. You brought 10, 11 other doctors into practice, became the largest group in Oklahoma. And uh, don't feel embarrassed. Just tell me, you know, tell, tell me what's, what's the secret or what are there any things I can learn? And I said, Phil, uh, I was tired and I, and I, I felt a little uncomfortable answering the question because I don't know the answer. And Phil, uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I'm that successful as you think, but maybe I'm lucky. Uh, maybe I worked hard. Phil said, no, that's not, that's not it. You, you know, I want you to search for it and tell me. So I went home and my wife was waiting for me late in the night. Uh, and uh, I took a, a little bite of food she prepared and fell off to sleep right away. Just after a few hours, I woke up. It's like a light bulb lit in my brain suddenly. It said, dummy, you didn't become successful because you worked hard, because there are millions of people in this profession that work more hard than you. You didn't become successful because you're smart, because there are millions of people that are more smarter than you and went to even more, most fabulous universities you could never even dream about going. You became successful for only one reason. You developed an understanding the pain of another human being through your mother, through her pain, you understood their pain and genuine empathy in your heart. And that shows up. And that is the reason why you had any success in your life. And she basically through her suffering has given you that gift that you're able to give that gift to these hundreds and thousands of people you're serving. It is truly given a gift by her and God. It's nothing that I have done or not done. And that was the most important realization in my life, that there is a meaning behind our suffering. Sometimes you may have to wait for one year, five years, 10 years, in my case, decades, before I really had a meaning, true meaning that I could understand and fully embrace and incorporate into my life. 
from that moment onwards, this, the focus of my life completely changed from one of being a successful doctor, trading people successfully, being the, the, the most respected doctor, whatever, you know, being the president of this, president of that. I've done all those things. I said, that's not the solution. You need to make your community as best as it could be. And you need to help other people reach their potential. And you need to make your neighborhood, your surroundings, your community, your city, your state shine like the beautiful star on a uh, city on, on the hill to the best you can do within your capacity. From then onwards, I turned my focus into service, into starting institutions that were not there before, helping people to have a better understanding about some things about themselves, their mind, their brain, their healing capacity that they did not have before, and changing the paradigm about mind, brain, health, mind, body, spirit in Oklahoma, because in the healthcare circles, there is a not really accepted. Uh, in fact, one of the uh, doctors uh, called me and asked me, Dr. Krishna, we have respect for you. You have treated our patients and our families. Now you're starting this mind-body-spirit center. And we are wondering uh, if you're losing it. That's what people are saying, if you're losing it. And uh, we want you to come and help us understand that because we don't want to lose you. They thought it was going crazy, basically. And yeah, so I went to Penn Square a- Mall. Uh, they had a meeting there, 50, 50 Penn Place. And that's where I had a big meeting with all the physician leadership of Oklahoma in helping them to understand about how mind affects the brain and the body and the health and how this is going to be future of uh, health care and self-care and mind care. And uh, in removing the stigma about that, fortunately, you know, due to their love and respect for me, they were giving me a chance. Uh, that's where I met, you know, Patricia Brown and, yes. and uh, you know, your mom and your dad. Uh, and uh, I met so many beautiful human beings, James L. Hall, uh, Dr. Holly. Uh, there are so many beautiful volunteers that came and helped me to start that. I was the co-founder and the first president. And in 1996, that's when we started the Mind, Body, Spirit Center. Do you think uh, if you had had that same meeting in San Francisco or New York City or Los Angeles, you would have had the same response from the doctors in the room in terms of their hesitancy to support you in this endeavor? Or do you think that they would have been a little more forward thinking? Sometimes I'm I'm really struck by how you were so forward thinking in a place that maybe was a little bit farther behind than the, the rest of the country. I think uh, on the West Coast, probably acceptance would have been much better. And probably maybe even on the East Coast, they may have been much better. But remember, the science of the mind-body-spirit didn't start evolving until the 70s. Dr. Benson's work, uh, you know, from Harvard, started on the relaxation response. What happens to the human body when you relax the mind? The studies came in the 1970s. So we, you know, we're talking about 80s and 90s, in the very early stages. John Kabat-Zinn mindfulness started talking about the 1970s. I heard these things and learned these things from my grandfather in the 50s. And uh, my grandfather, everything that I learned as an early child later on became scientifically very, very true. That's, that's an amazing 
discovery that uh, I had revelation I had that, you know, your emotions affect your brain and your mind and every cell of your body, every microsecond, whether you connect with each other or not, affects your immune system and your aging process. That's amazing. For example, when we are connecting, when we feel it, when we feel a sense of rapport and support from each other, your telomeres chop off less often. That means your aging process slows down in, the, in every cell of your body, every cell. That's amazing. Or let, let's say if we feel hostility, lack of acceptance, no communication or connection, no rapport, then the telomeres chop off real fast. So you, you age faster at every cell in your body and outside the body, including the skin and the hair and the nails. It's a pure scientific fact. The lady got Nobel Prize in Medicine and Physiology for the discovery of the telomeres and telomerase and the aging process. So it's amazing. The, the acceptance now in Oklahoma is so much better. I'm so proud of our doctors in Oklahoma. And they have given me a chance to prove I brought scientists from all over the country some from the world, right here in Oklahoma City. And uh, Patricia Brown and, and, and your parents and, and other people, we used to bring them, we used to raise funds, and we used to bring them and have them give seminars and training sessions to our doctors, to lay public and, and, and various other methods of communication. And over the last 25 years, we have turned the corner in a beautiful way. I love that. I. I do want to read something to you from your own book. <laughs> so I hope you, but I just, I thought it was so important to say on this podcast because we just, we believe so much in Oklahomans, but you say, I've seen it with my own eyes. We may be obese, have heart problems or dental problems, but Oklahomans are the kindest people on earth. We are Oklahomans for the rest of our lives. We will very much be a part of society here for generations to come. I have seen the acts of kindness and acts of compassion nowhere could top it. And I just thought that that was incredible, like just incredible. Thank you, Amy. And I truly mean every word of it, even today, more so even today, in spite of all you hear about political problems and all the differences and everything else, an average Oklahoman is a kind, loving human being. They'll give what they have to help another human being here. And that is more kindness than I've ever seen anywhere in the world. I live in England. I've lived in India, you know, and, and our people are so beautiful. And as, as reflected by the helicopter view I was giving you about how they're flocking, risking their own lives to help fellow human beings. And, and we have, for some reason, I don't know why, maybe because how the state started, maybe because of depression, maybe because of all the things we've been through as generations. People are truly kind, loving people. It's, it's a huge city, 650, 700 square miles, but it's almost, it's almost like a village in many respects. Almost everybody knows everybody over a period of time. Uh, it's truly amazing. Uh, when we are raising funds for the uh, mind bodies, uh, I mean, the uh, arcade trails, people said, oh, you can't get any, any uh, support from these people, those people, that institution, that city. We, we broke all the barriers. When we, Kelly and I shared our story, everybody opened their doors and their, their foundations for starting something beautiful for Oklahomans. Tell and, us and about what we are. Tell us about Arcadia Trails. And did, 
so that our listeners can understand what it is and the journey that you took to get here. So after the Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit, you did not stop. You've kept working on improving the lives of Oklahomans, their health, their mind, their, their mind, body, and spirit. That that The center really proliferates everything that you do. So did you and Kelly start working on it before you wrote the book together, or was it? did it come out of writing the book together? At first, uh, before Archaea Trails, there was another institution I helped start. In fact, I'm the founder for the institution called Health Alliance for the Uninsured. When I was elected as county medical president by 1,300 Oklahoma doctors in Oklahoma County, uh, in my first board meeting, I said, you have elected me, so I'm going to set the agenda. I want you to consider doing something for our community from our hearts. And so in the beginning, the doctors were wanting Medicaid reform and less paperwork and malpractice reform. So we'll accomplish all those things, but what are we going to do for common man that's hurting out there? So that led to formation of the organization called Health Alliance for the Uninsured. I brought the hospitals together, all the 11 hospitals together. First time they got together uh, and because I coaxed them, I told them something very important happened in Oklahoma City. They said, we'll send our marketing VP. And I said, don't come, don't send, you lose your seat. Everyone, all the 11 presidents came from every hospital and the governor's office and the health department and the health science center. So we formed what's called Health Alliance for Uninsured. Uh, the end result is we are serving 12 uh, clinics, clinics that serve poor and the uninsured in Oklahoma. We connect them. We give resources to them. We, found, we find examination for the patients. About thirteen to 14,000 patients go through the doors. Uh, free exam, free x-rays, free lab, and, and free surgeries, free hospitalizations for those at the bottom of society that don't have any insurance, any resources. The, the key point of the Health Alliance was I had to work door to door at the legislature to convince the legislators to uh, give a new law called Senate Bill 930 that protects all doctors, all nurses, all health professionals from any liability whatsoever uh, if they give their service out of the goodness of their heart to the poor patients. So uh, it's a labor of love. Uh, the Board of Health Alliance is very active, and all the clinics are active, and uh, we have an enormous support in the community now, and it's, it's amazing how much good work is going on, the stories of people getting care and surgeries that they couldn't have gotten before. Uh, and then medical students got excited, so they started their own uh, health alliance, and, and that became an annual affair, uh, and they call a uh, volunteer day called Bridges to Access. And all the medical school students, they participate. Meanwhile, the Board of Health Alliance and the medical school deans got together. They started an award of all people in my name for the top medical student giving the most community service for that year in a volunteer basis. Oh, wow. So they compete to volunteer. That's beautiful uh, how doctors are having a beautiful background. It's very touching to see what's happening. We used to have 35 volunteer doctors. Now we have 250 volunteer doctors helping us. So and this that's came, an ongoing thing. Sorry, but th- so this came out of when you would see doctors go to different countries, correct? And they would be volunteering in all these different countries. And you knew it was at one in five Oklahomans is going to bed yeah. hurting. And so you yeah. said, why aren't you volunteering here? And yeah. they said, well, I could be sued. 
you know, exactly. there's too much liability for me to volunteer. And then You're that's right. when the legislation, you changed yeah. it. Exactly. That's incredible. Yeah, a friend of mine, Dr. Stanley Polofsky, famous neurosurgeon, said, Morali, I will do everything for you. But the main fear that doctors have is that being sued, if somehow you can remove that, we'll do anything for you. Then I said, okay, I'm going to remove that. Like a magic wand, as if I know how to do that. I've never <laughs> you been said that out loud, before. and then you had to do it. You had to do something about it. <laughs> it's interesting how you know uh, how people open their doors. In the beginning, they were you know this brown guy with a little accent, and what are you talking about? Bring new legislation, and then pretty soon uh, they give gave more time. I said, go back to your community and ask them about it, and come back. I'm going to come back in one month. Tell me what you heard, and then there was an article in the newspaper at that time. And then, then they started recognizing me. And pretty soon, it was 99 to 1, we got passed. That's amazing. We had a lot of obstacles and difficulties. But the bottom line is, this law is working even today. Not one malpractice suit is filed, let alone one, against any doctor that's helping uninsured under this plan. Can you believe that? Michigan copied this law. Several other st- states copied this law. It's one of the best things ever happened to Oklahoma. That's amazing. Uh, best kept secret. Honestly. Well, I had not, so, uh, before reading the book, I had not heard about it. I didn't know that I've, I've been to Variety Care and I've seen the work that they do, but I had to know about this program and it's obviously really impacts the entire state. It, uh, my, our program is confined to Oklahoma, but other, other parts of the state are doing something similar after this law came, you know, doing a lot of good volunteer work. A uh, lot of clinics like Good Shepherd Clinic and, and uh, Crossings Clinic, they are all part of the Health Alliance because we, they are covered by this, this law. And they are covered. We, we give free medicines uh, every Tuesday. And uh, I, I made a deal with the DLO to get free lab for all these uninsured people that go through the clinics. So it's all a matter of relationships. And, and, uh, uh, and then collecting money from like United Way and, and organizations to help these people. So every dollar that's donated becomes eleven dollars uh, with this medication plan for people. So it's a beautiful program. Uh, independent board runs it. I still serve on the board and guide and help whenever I can. Uh, and and I'm I'm so honored to be part of this. And it's it's just you know our doctors supported me. That it's our community's gift to our community. So that's the second one. The third one, major one, is Arcadia Trails that you mentioned. Yeah, I wanted to hear more about Arcadia Trails. But before we get there, do you still see patients? Like, uh, do you still have patients for psychiatry? Uh, I'm 71 years old now. So last year, I decided to retire because my wife had been waiting for 51 years. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) More time. And uh, in fact, I feel so bad about one aspect of my life that is, I focus so much on my profession, my community, that perhaps I may, I may not have given as much time as I should have given, uh, especially my, my daughter. I feel so bad about that, Bindu. You know, so I spend as much as, as time as I can with her and the grandchildren and my wife. And, but, but I still serve on the boards and still continue to influence the community. And I still serve on the State Board of Health, uh, Arcade Trails Board and Health Alliance Board, uh, and a number of other boards. And I don't see patients anymore. Uh, very rarely, occasionally, I may see some, somebody just informally to tell them what they need to do next. Uh, you know, but it's not like seeing a patient. You know, it's going to be more informal. 
you know, advise, uh, you know, you need to send your so-and-so to so-and-so place or so-and-so person. But I do give uh, general talks because one of my uh, successful things I've done in Oklahoma is giving seminars on mind, brain health and mind, body health and how emotional health and physical health and spiritual health are intertwined together based on science. So I give talks on sleep like a baby and say goodnight insomnia. <laughs> uh, I give talks on natural relaxation training. I give talks on how do you build resilience in human life. Uh, and so I've given talks uh, to a number of institutions in Oklahoma and, and overseas. Uh, the most recent thing is I was giving talks to medical students in India and uh, they're wanting me to teach them uh, various things about mind, brain health that they're not really that familiar with. So I'm trying to remove the stigma there. And then the the provost of the big university was in the audience and he loved it so much. So he said, can you train all the medical schools in that region? Did you tell I him said, you well, were retired I now? possibly come there, but maybe if we can arrange on Zoom, Zoom. I might be able to address <laughs> all of them from time to time. So on the Zoom, I click. I don't have any technical expertise. I click and talk and share what I know based on science and my experience and help improve people's lives. That what I share, they can improve their life today. And that, that's the beauty of it. And so how did the how did you decide you wanted to work on the project for Arcadia Trails? How was that the next step okay. in your okay. journey? So in the Health Alliance work, uh, I met Reggie Whitten, who became a volunteer. A very famous Reggie, trial attorney. Reggie is also my neighbor. And we got to know each other's story. And he was so touched by my story. And I was touched by his story. And then he said, uh, and then Terry White and I have been very concerned. Terry is a wonderful spokesperson for mentally ill, a uh, very articulate lady who was mental health commissioner at that time. And I was having conversations with her about inadequate facilities, inadequate programs in Oklahoma that we need to have. We have more knowledge based on science and evidence-based medicine to help people to change their lives. So Terry was concerned about not having that. So then they said, I did not know... Uh, Kelly Fry at the time, they said, there's a lady by the name Kelly Fry, who is taking over as the editor of Oklahoma. Her, she has a brush with mental, mental health and addiction through her son, Eric. And uh, she's interested. Could you call all of us to a meeting? Uh, and so four of us can talk about it. So I called for a dinner meeting at my home. My wife made some nice Indian food. And we sat down, uh, started eating nice snacks and, and light food. And talking, start sharing about our own stories, my own story about who, how I got into the brain and mind health with my mother's story and my other, uh, there are other stories I didn't share with you tonight. And then uh, Kelly shared her story. Reggie shared his story about his son, how he died due to the disease of addiction that he did not have any idea about this being a disease. And he was walk, walking like a zombie, not knowing what to do. He lost his son. And he decided he dedicated he decided to dedicate his time to help people with addiction, to educate college students, and started an organization called Fate. Uh, in fact, you might want to interview him and Kelly at some point. We'd love to. Uh, you know, they would they would be very good, and you can mention to me that I mentioned their names. Uh, both are both are movers and shakers because they act their passion into action, and uh, Kelly. Uh, then share, but Terry, then, uh, you know, uh, Terry, four of us start talking about what next. We want to create something special, not this revolving door. And then we said, we have to have a 
a first-class, world-class facility and a world-class program. None of us are wealthy. We are decent professions, but we are not wealthy people, donate millions. So we said, let's go ahead and do two things. One is have a pathway of programming. What is available in the world about the knowledge of how to help people with addiction and mental illness and put it together into nice program, world-class program. That's one pathway. Second pathway is align with local uh, institutions and, and people that care about this. And uh, we had many institutions approach us, but we chose Integris at that time because I was working with Integris uh, as president of Integris Mental Health. So I had connection more to the top of the administration and to their board and who trust me and who like me. So we approached them and they really came on board and then they gave their foundation and we together along with community, many, many members in the community came to help us. Uh, the Gaylord family, for example, Catherine, you are aware of them yes. and Amy, you are aware of them. And, uh, you know, uh, Molly's brother came to help us. Yes. Uh, Bob uh, was mm-hmm. so kind. And even foundations from Tulsa, uh, you know, which you know, normally, apparently, there's not much help from each other's town, but several of them have uh, helped us. Zara Foundation came and helped us. There are 250 donors, but the labor of love of nine and a half years, Kelly and I would go around the state, uh, many, many cities, many talks, weekends, nights, and evening talks. And uh, to helping people understand what is the problem of addiction and mental illness? You know, how does it evolve? Why is it a medical problem? How can a person be treated effectively? And what would constitute a decent treatment program? All translated into common words people can understand. So these 250 donors finally emerged and gave the money we needed. Integris helped us build the facility. It's uh, on Edmund campus uh, on I-35. Uh, yesterday, Betty Ford people, day before yesterday, we had a meeting. They were telling us that, uh, sorry, Friday morning, I think we had a meeting. They were telling us that this is the most fabulous looking facility in the whole country. Wow. Betty Ford said this. That Arcadia Ford Trails. Oh yeah, Betty gosh. Ford said that, yes. the Betty Ford's director. And, and it's got a treatment program to match it. So you're going to be hearing more and more about it. It's kind of best kept secret so far. The and they're going to wrap, unwrap the marketing and unveiling the program. When did and it open? When did it take? When did they take their first patients? About one year ago. Yeah, so right before COVID, doing very small number of patients right now to work out all the issues, and now they're about to unravel, uh, unveil it uh, to the community and to surrounding states, and and to professionals. And it's a fabulous program, you know the. I strongly believe in education of the brain as component, just like Amy, you're talking about how learning how to meditate help you yeah. with your anxiety. You know, there's no reason for a human being to continue to suffer. There are healing powers that the good Lord has given us hardwired inside our body, but we don't know them. They're like treasure, big treasure that your grandfather kept for you in the backyard, hidden somewhere, and you didn't know that until very late. You know, we need to learn. Even small children have to be taught many of these skills, how to, you know, unveil the inner healing power that they have within themselves. Uh, so that's part of the program. Uh, mindfulness training is a part of the program and uh, relaxation training, guided imagery. 
and even drumming and and a very very good psychoeducational program and brain reeducation program uh, it's it's kind of exciting what's going to happen in Oklahoma is uh, the center, center and its activities is the center just for addiction or is it for other mental illnesses as well it is addiction with mental illness a lot of people don't realize addiction and mental illness go together okay. go hand in hand together 80 to 90% of the people with addiction have a mental illness coexisting mental illness that they may they may or may not talk about or realize that oh, like wow, anxiety I didn't that. panic I didn't depression so you you treat both of them simultaneously together and so the addiction and mental illness together that's what this treatment is all about it's uh, a residential program and it's uh, you know in the beginning it'll be an inpatient and then gradually as they become more and more better shift into day hospital program and then shift into intensive outpatient program and outpatient program but as a treatment parameters are common throughout the 60 to 90 days they're going through their place may change but they'll have the continuum of the program wow, so the recovery rate and and the and the healing uh, rate is going to be much 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 better what a relief actually, to know that that's yeah. in our backyard now and that it's it sounds as if really Oklahoma has been on the cutting edge all along mm-hmm. of mental health and and the work that you did and that Dr. Shirley did from bring, bringing you from England and from India really laid the groundwork to put Oklahoma on the map to to be experts at this and then hopefully go out into the world and train other people how to do what we're doing yeah but well, i think i think one of the reasons why uh, i have been successful in doing things is the opportunities given to me in the early part of my career that gave me confidence in myself and also my community you know those two things and then the people you know i think i i truly believe in the, the divine presence in life uh, i think without god's will not not even a blade of grass will move even though we don't understand why it's happening what's happening right now we will understand at some point and the people that were given to me in my life they're truly angels put on this earth by god for me i truly believe they're angels i'm talking about people like kelly fry reggie witten terry and 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 uh, you know many people that work with me for 40 50 years there's a lady by the name suzy wa uh, a nurse uh, we started working together at saint anthony's in 1977 until i retired and that lady has been with me continuously uh, there's a gentleman by the name jim maigo who was my vice president uh, lynn horton was my vice president and uh, you know many many molly molly has yes. been with me for the last several years she came wanted to work in the mind body spirit arena because she was passionate about it she didn't have she didn't need that job she had wonderful job at ou and and she did not need a job but she has passion in this arena so people like that have been put in my life due to god's grace you know you can't really you know put it on luck and every person that i came into that i work with i never have to second guess them you know once we had discussion about what we want to do and finalize the vision of what we want to do they took their part and ran with it you know that's the beauty of it so we could do a lot more for the community so there are there are hundreds and hundreds of heroes in this deal i just happen to be a catalyst you know uh, maybe front page in some situations 
But really, it, the, the credit belongs to all these people, all Oklahomans. That's one of the reasons I, I, one of the conditions I put my to my children and my, my I'm working with the grandchildren is wherever you want to go for education, you come back to Oklahoma. This is the place to help. You know, you may have beautiful, pretty beaches over there in West Coast or, or, or you know, beautiful sites in Europe, but you can never find the kind of people you have here and the kind of community we have here. This is our 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 land. This is this where we want to live and make a difference and die. I think that that's really how Emmy and I have felt. You know, we both mm-hmm. lived away for a, for a long time, and I I loved living all the places that I've lived. But there was always something missing, and I think you take for granted having grown up here. You take for granted how truly kind and supporting and loving and open the Oklahoma City community is, or the Oklahoma community at, at large, but you don't really understand it and appreciate it till you've been away and you come back and you can see it at work every single day. I agree. So we kind of have right, two yeah. final questions. I can't believe we're already to the end. I feel like I, I could ask you a million more questions, but so Oklahoma city uh-huh. 10 years ago, which was a much different place. I, I, we've seen, you know, obviously you saw the vibrancy that came from post bombing kind of, has that that energy has just expanded into now we have such a even more vibrant city what do you see for oklahoma in the next 10 years on the mental health front where do you see it for oklahoma just in general kind of what are your thoughts for the future i think uh, one of the important things for the future for oklahoma is we need to work on bringing all the people together. That's going to be an important work we need to do, that we can become unique in the nation, that we as a community come together, no matter what race we are, what age we are, where we come from, that we are Oklahomans primarily. And bringing that together, that work needs to be done in the next five, 10 years. And then there is a huge potential for private citizens creating things for the city and for the state to help people. We cannot only depend on the government to give us, you know, their programs and their things, because there's going to be huge limitations as to what they can do. We need to generate enthusiasm. There's huge untapped potential in Oklahomans uh, to improve Oklahomans. I think that is a very significant untapped potential I know the oil and gas will be down and all those things, but there are many, many generous people out there waiting to be tapped into making a difference for the community. And I think that is there is a huge opportunity there in many respects, mental health, addiction, uh, social services, education, uplifting humanity. You know, there are many things that could be done here that are evolving slowly and that could be put in a fast track basis by our community and our community leaders. Ah, I'm kind of aged out. So I'm No, you, know, <laughs> you, you have you have laid the groundwork of, and you know, I think that I'm in my seventies, but I wish I'm twenty years old that uh, you know, at this time there's so much that can be done. Well I think that you've you have laid the groundwork for those next ten years. I mean you and it's way more than groundwork. You have put the roots in Oklahoma for what we can be. And I think you've inspired people and given people hope that Oklahoma City is, or that Oklahoma isn't at the bottom of the list of these things, that we really truly are 
forward thinkers and that we can lead the way in mental health. And so I'm, I'm so inspired by this conversation. A lot of these things I, I didn't realize about our state. And I'm, I'm so happy to now know this because now I can go out and tell the story. And I think the more people know, the more people can talk about it. Yeah, I agree for sure. You ready for final? Well, we have a final question. So we, we ask every single guest this question. <laughs> and your, a, a friend comes to visit. The friend can be from anywhere in the world. They arrive at Will Rogers just like you did in 1975, 75 you came, just like you did in 1975, and you pick them up at the airport, and you can spend the day any way you want in Oklahoma City with with this friend. What do you take them to do? What do you show them about our city? What's your perfect day? There's no pandemic. There's there There's nothing holding you back. Well, that exactly happened uh, two years ago. Uh, several of my friends, they said, you're not coming to our home and, and our, our, wherever we are in the various parts of the state or the country. So uh, some are in other countries too. So they all descended on my home uh, <laughs> about uh, two and a half, three years ago, actually. So I picked them, picked them from the airport. The first thing we did was brought them to my home and they had a nice dinner that my wife made. She's an excellent chef. And after that, we, you know, talk about uh, reminisce things. Then we go on a ride and I take them to, uh, for sure, the memorial site and go inside the museum if it's open and then talk about my personal experiences there and the community and the beauty of this community uh, and, 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 the, and the vibrancy of our community. Uh, most of them are truly awed by just, just that. Then I like taking them to Myriad Gardens and have a nice walk there. And then I like to take them to the Health Science Center uh, in the St. Anthony area and then bring them to the different parts of the city. Uh, then when we have a chance in the next day or two, I'll take them to the uh, what used to be called Cowboy Hall of Fame. I still call it that way. So do we. <laughs> National Heritage You're Center. You're a true Oklahoman uh, if you still call it the Cowboy Hall of Fame. Right. <laughs> and some of them have the interest in some uh, you know, local food. I'll take them some local restaurants, barbecue restaurants, or, uh, you know, some of the downtown restaurants. And uh, most of them won't eat as much as they can at my home. So Sounds like it. <laughs> are, Emily I and I are I coming too, over. Yeah. We need an invitation for dinner, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it is, I love to show my friends around this city. And I think it stems from my mother. She was, I think she's sort of the original Oklahoma, it seems to me, she there nothing brings her more joy than driving people around our city and showing them what this place is all about and her favorite spots and telling them all about its people and and so I, I always enjoy hearing how other people like to do that. You know, one of the beautiful things in Oklahoma, a lot of people don't realize, is we have one of the best sunsets in the world. I it's, love our sunsets. I love them. Oh, my goodness. That is amazing. We have a little lake in the backyard uh, we share with 100 other homes. Uh, it's called Mulholland. And every evening, we spend time in the backyard for one to three hours, just looking at the changes happening in the sky and the horizon, uh, the sunset. And, and right after sunset, how the sky looks changes. It becomes translucent. It's most beautiful because our pollution rate is very low and you don't see that pure sunset in many places in the world nowadays. And we have that beautiful show 
you know, uh, right in front of our eyes every day, almost every day. Uh, that is beautiful. That that was stunning for me, especially when I came from England. That I was stunned by it. in England. It rained two hundred days a year. You don't see the sun in England. Uh, <laughs> so it was like a, a big bonanza here. It is. So My children that's, that's comment on it a lot. My children love the sunsets as well, which brings me a lot of joy. So where yeah. can people find your book? Where can people find, you know, um, Arcadia Trails and Mind Body Spirit Center? Kind of where, where can you direct them to find all these wonderful resources? Thank you. Uh, my book, Vibrant to Heal and Behold, From India to Oklahoma City can be found on the uh, Amazon Kindle and also Amazon. The physical book can be found. And in fact, Catherine, I have, uh, you know, hard copies uh, with my signature and message for you and Amy. Oh, thank you. And and Richard. So I need your your mailing address or somewhere I can deliver them for you. Yes, we'll we'll uh, send you the address. Maybe you can text me or send an email to me. Yes, of course. Uh, I would love that. Then... Also, uh, Arcadia Trails, uh, go to Integris Health website and click on Arcadia Trails Addiction Recovery Center, and it'll give a, a, a beautiful, detailed view of what's going on there, how it evolved, and things like that. Uh, the, the, that's the Integris Arcadia Trails Addiction Recovery Center. And then James L. Hall Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit. Molly Ross is the executive director. And we used to have a giant physical library, but due to coronavirus and everything, the Integrity's Health and, and, and the community decided to have more web uh, presence of the, of the Mind, Body, Spirit Center. So it's being tra- converted now, being constructed, the web presence of major web presence of many, many resources going to come in the Integris James L. Hall Center for Mind, Body, and Spirit. Then you can uh, watch some of my podcasts on the YouTube. Uh, just go to R. Morali Krishna, MD, Oklahoma City. Uh, many talks will come, live video talks on how to build resilience, uh, natural relaxation training, which yeah. is very popular. I was going to say, I'm about to go form. watch that one. <laughs> the yeah. natural relaxation one sounds this. great. <laughs> and then uh, the many other topics uh, you might be interested or you can go to Integris Health, and then in their website, you can also find resources for that. Amazing. Uh, thank you so much, yeah, Dr. Krishna. thank you for joining us. We really, truly so appreciate it. I feel so peaceful. Yeah, I, f- I feel better already. <laughs> I feel reinvigorated for the... It's been my <laughs> pleasure and my honor. Thank you for what you're doing. God bless you with wonderful life. Oh, thank, thank you. you. You too. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank you, Catherine, Amy. Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for joining us today. We truly appreciate your listening to these stories. You can find us on Instagram at ActionCityOKC or for business inquiries, email us at hello at ActionCityOKC.com. Action City is produced by Blacken Studios. You can find the studio on Instagram and Facebook at Blacken Studios. Creative services provided by Ranger Creative. Music written and performed by Kansas City Bankroll. <laughs>